Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline Melanick. Welcome to Chain Reaction, a show that unpacks and dives deep into the latest trends, drama, and news with some of the biggest names in crypto, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Today's guest is Ariana Simpson, general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, also known as A16Z. Prior to joining the A16Z family, she founded Autonomous Partners, which is an investment fund focused on crypto. She also helped launch Crystal Towers Capital, which is an early stage fund investing primarily in YC companies. A16Z has dug deep in the crypto space after launching four funds dedicated to the industry. The most recent one was about $4.5 billion in May 2022. Some of the portfolio companies for A16Z include big crypto players that we've interviewed in the past, like Alchemy, Avalanche, and Aptos, as well as others like Uniswap, Yuga Labs, and Coinbase, which it exited from. With all that said, Ariana, it is great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. And before getting into VC, you also worked in sales and product roles at Facebook and BitGo, right? Yes, that's right. Feels like a lifetime ago at this point, but <laughs> it's true. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, I know with all those roles, I feel like, yeah, it's definitely been quite some time. But what made you decide to go down this route and focus on investing in crypto? And why now at A16Z? So I first fell down the crypto rabbit hole after having spent some time in Zimbabwe, where I witnessed the aftermath of their really bad hyperinflation, which I think peaked around 2008. I was there in early 2013, but the country was still very much under duress, basically, as a result of everything that had happened economically there. And so a lot of people had basically lost their entire life savings. The economy was not really functioning. And so I was thinking a lot about monetary policy when I came back to the U.S. And a friend of mine who had followed down the Bitcoin rabbit hole very early on told me about it. And so I became really fascinated with sort of the potential of what this could become. And obviously at the time it was mostly centered around Bitcoin and now the space is a lot more than that. But that was sort of what prompted me to want to move into the crypto space more broadly. My journey down the investing rabbit hole was sort of an accident. I had started working full-time in crypto at this point and was at BitGo, which was kind of one of the early leaders in providing security solutions for digital assets in those days. But I had a friend who was an entrepreneur turned investor who had developed an interest in crypto as well and also been a very prolific angel investor who said to me, hey, why don't we start a fund together? And I didn't really have any experience investing. I was just determined to figure it out. And so we basically started from scratch. And that fund ended up being a combination of crypto and not. But that also set the stage for Autonomous Partners, which was my crypto-only fund, investing sort of broadly across the space with a focus in particular on tokens, which at the time a few years ago was a little bit unpopular. I think mm -hmm. now it's obviously more common. But I just saw tokens as a fundamental unit of really a way of orchestrating governance and coordinating different participants in blockchain networks. And so the technology to me kind of needed that investable unit in order to really work. Yeah. And it, obviously it's been a number of years since that first fund. But how has your strategy kind of changed from that initial time you got in to now where you're at A16Z, you have billions of dollars to deploy. What are you looking for when it comes to investing in both founders and startups? Well, one interesting shift I've noticed is that when I first started investing in the space, which was around 2015 and then more so in 2017, there really wasn't much 
investable material in the consumer landscape. And the reason for that is in order to be able to invest in things higher in the stack at the application layer, you first needed to really lay the infrastructure foundations on which those applications could reside. So looking back, many of the investable projects were, yeah, really layer ones, infrastructure, a little bit of DeFi later on, but mostly pretty deeply technical protocols and projects. And over the years, obviously, especially in the last few, particularly following the advent of Ethereum, but even more recently than that, there's just been a shift to, well, maybe not a shift, more of an expansion, I would say. There's still a lot of really interesting investment opportunities in the infrastructure ecosystem, but we've opened this whole new world of consumer applications and experiences and products that just weren't possible because they couldn't run on blockchains a few years ago, and now they are. And so to me, that's what's really exciting. It's this whole world of applications that can be used by consumers. I'm sure we'll get into more specifically some of the areas that we're excited about in those categories, but there's just so much potential for new, delightful games, experiences, products that just weren't possible a few years ago because the infrastructure wasn't there. Yeah. And before we do go in further into the interview and to like A16Z strategy currently, I thought it would be kind of fun to do a little bit of a rapid fire questions where you just answer yes or no. Um, if something requires more response, we could come back to it. But yeah, if you're game, we could do that. Let's do it. Okay. First question. Do you see yourself investing in crypto for the next five to 10 years? Absolutely. Would you launch another VC firm in the future? Possibly, but I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now, so. <laughs> Are there any companies you regret investing in? Ooh, no. Okay, you could have said yeah. I mean, we weren't asking for specifics, so. but anyways. <laughs> no, I, uh, does it found? <laughs> you know, I think even, fortunately, not many of them have, have wound down, but mm -hmm. you learn a lot. I think it's actually, you don't want to have only home runs as an early investor because I think that can lure you into a false sense of confidence. And also, you learn a lot from the companies that don't work out. So I don't regret those either. Okay, fair enough. Does a founder's personality have a big impact on who you invest in? Absolutely. At all stages of investment, but especially at the earlier stages, the founding team is a huge part of what we think about in investing. I think the founding team and the market that they're tackling are probably the single two biggest items that we would think about. And so, you know, obviously there's credentials and there is a pattern of success, but there's also an element that we call internally divine flame, which is really, is this person committed to building this? Are they going to plow through any obstacles? Are they going to make sure that no matter what curveballs are thrown their way, they're going to make this happen? And, right. and I think that's, it can manifest in different personality types. Definitely, mm -hmm. we don't have a type that we invest in, but I think it's a hugely important component of being a successful founder. Fair enough. Okay. Will there be a crypto fund number five from A16Z? I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and does crypto market volatility affect your decision-making? No. Do you think crypto lacks diversity? Could it be better? Yes. But has it gotten a lot better since I moved into the industry 10 years ago? Also, yes. Okay. Those were the questions. How do you feel? Great. I feel great. <laughs> How do you feel? I feel great. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. One of the questions towards the end was about the potential for a fund number five. And you said, I believe, I hope so. And as we mentioned in the beginning, A16Z raised $4.5 for the most recent one. Does the Web3 investing climate today support funds of that size? 
And do you think this future fund that hopefully will exist will be smaller or bigger? Well, I certainly think that the ecosystem has grown to a size where it absolutely supports a fund of this size. And that's why we raised a fund of this size. We really, we didn't have to raise any number. We chose a number that we thought spoke to the size of the opportunity. The ecosystem has obviously grown tremendously and is continuing to attract tons and tons of early stage entrepreneurs who are building across the board, many different categories, many different types of, you know, anything from infrastructure protocols to consumer applications and games. To give some numbers, we recently relaunched our crypto startup school program, which had initially been started in 2020. And we brought it back this year. It just kicked off earlier this month. And we ended up having over 8,000 applicants for what ended up being about 24 slots. So I think, you know, that really suggests that we're seeing a a huge influx of people who want to build in the space, in addition, obviously, to all the folks who have been building in the space for many years. So we're very excited. And I think, you know, we'll continue to tailor our fund sizes to what we see as the opportunities in the market. That's like a Harvard acceptance rate, like 24 <laughs> out of 8,000. Wow. I think it might actually be be worse, but I'm not sure. Yeah. We'd have to check with Harvard admission. Harder <laughs> than Harvard. That could be your slogan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't want to discourage people. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, of course. Um, I like that you mentioned before that not everything is a home run too, because I think that's like a, a fair reality. And of course, you do have a, a number of home runs at the moment that I mentioned in the beginning, the portfolio companies. But it's also worth mentioning that the flagship fund lost about 40% in the first half of 2022. And sure, we can probably attribute that to the absolute chaos that the crypto markets went through. But I'm curious, like, what has the road to recovery been like since then? So without commenting on any specific numbers, which may or may not be accurate, um, what we've seen is that time and time again, the companies that do the best over a long period of time are those that are able to focus on building throughout whatever period of the market cycle we may be in. I think obviously a company like Coinbase that has been around for over a decade has done a phenomenal job of staying focused and staying true to their mission and what they believe in and building across those cycles. Obviously, they're kind of one of the biggest and most successful examples of that, but there are dozens and dozens and dozens more. So from my perspective, I would encourage founders who are, you know, going through this period to just focus on their product, focus on their end users, and not be distracted by market volatility, which at the end of the day is, you know, very much a temporary thing. Yeah, for sure. And I think of that volatility comes like the whole regulatory landscape we've been seeing recently. It's definitely been tightening around the American crypto scene. We have the CFTC, the SEC, the DOJ, all these acronyms, filing suits or pressing charges against crypto companies across the space. And I'm curious, as a VC's perspective, how does a more prominent federal government presence impact an investing strategy? We certainly welcome smart regulation. I think if anything, we and many other bodies within the ecosystem have been calling for more specific guidance. The challenge has been that there hasn't been very much guidance, which obviously makes it harder even for good actors to comply. You know, now you also see regulatory agencies like the CFTC tackling Binance, for example, then this is definitely not the first time that an offshore non-compliant and largely unsupervised company has caused harm to the ecosystem reputationally. But obviously, we find these 
charge is very concerning. And just to be clear, we're not involved <laughs> in any way with Binance. No, yeah. And I think what we hope is that with the elimination of some of these actors that have had sort of questionable business practices, it paves the way for good actors who have invested heavily in compliance, including Coinbase, to really provide a great experience for their users that is safe and within the bounds of regulation. So I certainly hope that the United States regulators start taking a more collaborative approach where they're in dialogue with industry rather than simply, you know, coming out with enforcement actions across the board. And I think that's what's needed in order for us to really see the industry continue to thrive and create jobs, create opportunity, move this important technology forward. So yeah, I hope that's what we'll be seeing. All right. And kind of going back to what we talked about in the beginning, strategy, what A16Z is looking at. I know you've been tweeting a bit about the Web3 gaming space recently, and I feel like you're kind of excited about it. So is it a part of the crypto landscape where you're finding a lot of interesting startup activity? And it seems to be like a really big trend. At least I cover it. I know there's been some partnerships in the space. And I guess I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts on the Web3 gaming space? Sure. It's definitely one of the areas that we as a team and myself personally are very, very excited about because, as you mentioned, it's drawing in a lot of really exceptional talent. And for many folks who built exceptional game experiences in the Web2 world, they really see the promise for what Web3 can deliver in terms of players actually owning part of the games they're not just in a position where they're creating value for the makers of the game, but actually can participate and own in a much more hands-on kind of way. And so that's exciting for players, and it's also exciting for game makers. So we're, we're seeing a lot of top talent from sort of the traditional gaming world transition into Web3. For example, recently we invested in Azra Games, which is led by Mark Otero, who was uh, formerly at EA, and he was kind of at the front of the RPG movement, mobile free-to-play, and led their top-grossing hit, which was Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. Mark is leading an exceptional team, and they're building a, a really exciting sort of Web3 game. And Mark is certainly not the only one. Krista Wolf, who is a MySpace co-founder and then co-founder of Jam City, also building Play Labs within the Web3 ecosystem. So anyways, we're seeing a, a really strong influx of top, top Web2 game makers coming into the space. And I've really viewed this category as a huge onboarding mechanism for new users into the Web3 ecosystem. And the reason this matters is the ecosystem, frankly, can be a little bit daunting to approach. If a person is not technical, if a person hasn't necessarily, you know, played around with it before, you need some mechanisms for getting introduced to it, for getting familiar with it, for getting comfortable with it, because you're also, you know, you're dealing with value in addition to just the game. These NFTs and tokens can be obviously worth money, and so that makes the barrier to entry a little bit higher. So to see games sort of put a friendlier face on this ecosystem and allow people to start participating in a way that they understand and can get comfortable with is really exciting. So again, part of our interest is just where is top talent flowing? And there's certainly a strong trend into the industry. And part of it is also, will this category be able to bring in the next, you know, hundreds of millions of users into crypto? And we think the answer to that is yes. Yeah, I definitely agree with some of those sentiments. And it's like, I always say, like, follow the talent. Mm -hmm. Like, even early on, we saw, like, a lot of TradFi people coming to crypto. And now we're seeing these gaming people coming to crypto. And I think it is 
like a good thing that we have like kind of a mesh of the two parties. Like when it's, we have traditional gaming studios now building crypto products and then crypto people working with them because like, let's face it, it's extremely hard to make a game and like not one party can do it either way. Like, of course, gaming companies can continue to do it without crypto, but it's I think better if they implement it, kind of similar to the things that you mentioned. And it seems like the latest trend in the Web3 gaming space is like traditional games introducing a crypto style functionality to it to kind of warm up audiences or see if it actually works. Do you think that's going to be a new model going forward? There's definitely some segment of existing games introducing crypto assets, but we're also seeing a really exciting new category of games that are just super crypto native and very much using the architecture of blockchains as a set of design constraints and opportunities. So we refer to those as on-chain games, and they're really basically the most crypto native form of a game that you can have. Now, the challenge right now is that a lot of those games are very technical. And so in order to be able to play, you probably have to be a developer or at least very technically savvy, which limits the user base. Obviously, not that many people are developers or technical enough to play these games. But we think it's really the beginning of a movement, which will probably later expand outward and incorporate more types of different kinds of players. You can kind of Imagine we're coming at it from both ends. You have existing games incorporating NFTs or other components, which are a little bit more crypto light, if you will. And on the other hand, you have more deeply technical architectures, which are more crypto native, but a little bit less accessible to the mainstream audiences. And I think over time, we'll see these two categories converge and you'll have more of a full spectrum of opportunities for different players. But it's important to remember that not all games need to cater to all players. And so it's totally fine. And I think a very likely outcome that we'll see some games that are a little bit less crypto native, more widely available, continue to thrive together with others that are instead much more deeply native. And that's absolutely fine. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree with that. Not everything has to be like diving extremely deep into the crypto world. But yeah, stepping aside from gaming, at TechCrunch, of course, we're curious about like where startup activity is all the time because there's always interesting products and models for innovations being done where I feel like a lot of startups and founders are creating things. So I'm curious, like, where are the savvy crypto founders spending a lot of their time right now apart from gaming? I mean, this sounds like a cop-out answer, but they're really all <laughs> over the place. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> we, well, I, I will tell you, from our vantage point, we see a lot. We see, mm-hmm. you know, we cover all categories within the Web3 ecosystem from, you know, deep infrastructure protocols through to the application layer. We're seeing a lot of activity, If to go a little bit deeper on another category, in the wallet landscape, which I think is very exciting because it presents a lot of possibilities in that you know, based on the name, you think of a wallet as just like a place where you hold your funds. And obviously that functionality is part of it. But we're thinking about wallets as also a way of sort of a portal in which you can interact with all of these new applications, games, or other kinds of applications in a really Web3 native way. And that, I think, is super exciting because we don't have to say, okay, this is a wallet, it's where your money is, and that's the end of the story. But rather, you can design rich, interactive experiences thanks to a lot of the composability and characteristics that Ethereum and some of these other blockchain ecosystems have. And so I don't think we've fully arrived at what the end state 
wallet experience is going to be like. But we're seeing a lot of really exciting steps in that direction. And I think that's attracting a lot of talent as well. Yeah. Do you think there's a part in the crypto market where there are more founders and startups building than there is for like user demand? That's hard to say. I think an important thing to remember as an investor is that you need to have a certain dose of humility around your visions of the future. Because at the end of the day, obviously, we're going to have theories and we're going to get excited about certain categories. But it's the entrepreneurs who are building the future in these ecosystems. And if they build an incredible experience in a given category, they can basically manifest that category into existence, even a category that's completely new and hasn't existed. So I think we try very hard not to be too opinionated about which categories are going to be important in the future, because it's really almost entirely dictated by what entrepreneurs build. And sometimes that can be hard to predict. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like a lot of that comes into like product market fit, knowing where you're needed and how much. So yeah, I'm with you on that. (laughs) Good. (laughs) We're also hearing from investors that valuations are still pretty decent, even though it's kind of like a crypto winter compared to historical norms. I know it is more of an investor-friendly market right now. That's what I've heard across the board. But I'm curious your thoughts on like what the market is like today for early stage crypto valuations. You know, I think the segment of the market that has been most affected in the venture capital world is later stage. So growth investments have certainly slowed down. But I would say that the early stage pre-seed and seed market is still very, very healthy. And I would agree that generally we're still seeing healthy valuations across the board and a lot of activity there, which I think speaks to the fact that regardless of how people might be feeling in the short term sentiment wise and what the liquid prices might be doing, investors and the ecosystem at large are very positive on where we'll be in a few years, which is why there's not really a discount being applied or much of one anyways to earlier stage investments because the longer term future is still very bright and people recognize that. Okay. And I know A16Z has their strategy and it seems like you kind of look at the whole industry, but is there any areas that A16Z doesn't invest in that you're still interested in personally? We tend not to invest in mining-related businesses. I think, obviously, we've seen a a shift now to other kinds of models like proof-of-stake. So we felt that that category was not where we'd best spend our efforts. Mm -hmm. But I think that different kinds of models for this sort of thing are, are certainly very interesting, and particularly where you can recycle other forms of energy, which might be a waste product in other cases you know, can certainly be promising, even though it's not where we're focused. Mm -hmm. My last question for you, Ariana, is what is your advice for founders? Keep going. Don't let kind of the headlines get you down. I think I've been in the space for almost 10 years, and I have seen my fair share of ups and downs and crazy headlines and things like that. And at the end of the day, what really matters is the products and services and technologies that entrepreneurs build. So all of that is very much within our control. And so to just keep focused, keep building, and eventually, definitely the sun will come out again. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Thank you for having me. We'll be back every other week with interviews with top players in the crypto ecosystem. Catch us on Thursdays for interviews with experts in the Web3 space. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and the stories we talked about can be found in our show notes and be sure to follow us at chain underscore reaction on Twitter. 
Chain Reaction is hosted by myself and produced by Yashad Kulkarni and Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. See you next time.